Welcome to episode 693 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 693 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsman, Bevan James Owls. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. Had, had a haircut? I have, I think. Yeah, I must have done. Since last Tuesday. Short back and sides, classic clock. Well, no, because sometimes you get shorter. Mm. It's not too short. Mm. Number three. Number three. I've had a haircut. Can you have tell? You? Yeah. Now, here's a question for you. Here we go. Start the show nice and strong. Did you used to bleach your hair? Yes. Yes. I walked into Bevan's garage today and there was two items. I, I oh. rang the doorbell. Uh, he walked help, in. Help myself yep, in. Comes in next to home. Have to go and open up the garage door. The first thing I noticed, I thought I don't want to annoy Bevan's wife because there was a little opening at the bottom of the garage. Dryers on, John. Dryers on. So I was very careful to close the garage carefully. As I was parking up my bike, I saw a flyer of Bevan when he was personal training. So it must have been years it's ago. That would be 1999 or 2000. And it, was, well, it wasn't black and white, but it was a very dark color. No, it, was, it is black and white but they made the white purple yeah and yeah. the the hair was uh, white yeah so I used to bleach blonde it yeah I could tell yeah classic pretty cool, pretty cool, 80s mate. and 90s look oh mate I was, it wasn't even just like like touches of blonde it was bleach blonde mm. John I was cool when I was young I bet you were I thought I was shit hot I tell you I'm talking proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance Galactic Buffer and our patrons there's no few Jombo Sarah Agent Smackdown Sutherland we've got Kylie the hot chick Cox she wanted the hot chick. I think the Colonel's heaps better. No. Uh, Darren, the lean, mean, the lean machine, Elchin. Love your work there, Darren. Uh, this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. It's, it's quiet news time. We've got a pro of the week. We've got an interview with who? Speaking to DC Rainmaker about all things technology. Uh, Winger of the week, questions and answers at the end. Big news, John, is Brownlee is racing Ironman Western Australia, which is showing his cards that he Kona's on the cars next year. Yes, yeah, so, so what you said here, uh, we just missed this last week. It was on try247.com. John Leverson does a great job there. Yeah, great job. Uh, it, well, a quote he's got here, some people say the only way to learn how to race Ironman is to race Ironman. I think that could be true. So despite being later in the year, I'm heading to Ironman Western Australia. I still have aspirations to race the Olympics. And if I race in Tokyo, it will definitely be my last Olympics. But I also want to qualify for Kona next year, and I hope to be able to do that in Bustleton. It's going to be interesting times because he's got an up-and-down record at long-distance racing. So I know it's, it's another week away, and so I possibly could have talked about this next week, but I'm pretty excited to see how he goes. So he qualified last year... At, at Cork, and uh, he qualified at Cork, so there was a no swim there, and he only really had one or two competitors. Brian McChrystal kept him honest, uh, and it was a handicap start. It was pissing now with rain. Still did the distance, still did a good performance. So from Ironman Racing, he's you know done two events. One, he won and uh, looked reasonably good. Uh, second one was Kona. Uh, he looked good for the first, uh, you know, five hours or so and then when you look at his 70.3 record a half Ironman record uh, he's had a couple of dominating performances uh, at St George when he did his I think it was either his first or second one he did another a couple of other really strong performances but at, at the world champs he's usually gone well for about three hours and then sort of crumbled a bit in the second half of the run still really competitive he's got two medals from the last two 70.3 world champs I think so it's not like he's failed or anything no. um, but it's not the Brownlee of old, so okay, I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm doing John Newsom's Brownlee 2020 prediction. You're going to yes. see in 2020 
into the future. Okay, so, here we go. Is he going to make the Olympics? I think he's got a, a reasonable chance no, of making no. it. Is he yes or no? I will say, without fully analysing the Great Britain team, I would say yes. Okay. Because I'm thinking the team would probably be, they're going to go Alex Yee because he's man of the future. Yep. They'll go Johnny Brownlee because he's competitive. Yep. Um, and then it will come down to Brown, uh, Alistair Brownlee and a couple of others that are sort of, they're probably not going to get anywhere. Um, but, but are they the up-and-comers? Uh, they've got some up-and-comers, but yeah. I don't, uh, yeah, if, you, if I had to, Put money on it. I'd, I'd put him in rather in front of others. Okay, but if you're if you're a race you know, selector, you have got Brownlee, who's legend, uh, definitely in twilight of his. his not going to get a medal. Not going to get a medal. Highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Then you have an up and comer who might be a star, might not be. Who do you pick? Well, I would probably pick, and I'm just going to contradict myself. I would probably pick somebody else, but I don't know if that, if they will. Okay. You know, because Brownlee would be. It just depends whether he's prepared to play the team card or not. Because yeah. he would be a good team player. Uh, in terms of you know, if they're going, uh, do we want to try to pull uh, Alex Yee up because he could potentially win the whole thing? You know, would Alistair Brownlee? And I doubt very, very much that he would. Would he drop back and pull pull the second? Oh, group you don't up? think he would be a very good team player. I don't think so. Why? Just because Just it's he's a winner he's, he's, he's not the team sort of guy. So I don't, I don't know which way they'll, they'll do it. But they, they have got some young, really fast young fellas, but nobody who I would say would potentially finish in front of Alistair in a race. But when you go, well, let's think four years down the track, maybe. So I think on the Olympics, 50-50, whether he makes it or not, almost 100% he's not going to be a player in terms of the top five. What about Kona? Kona, I would put more money on him getting in the top five in Kona than I would in putting him in the top five at the Olympics. Uh, I just, I reckon he might go out there and crush this WA race. I know before World, before Kona, I didn't think he was going to do very well, but this, I've just got a feeling that he might go out there and absolutely smash it. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious about his desire. You know, in the past, he was always the guy who, he was a bit like Bevan Doherty, who was like, I don't really care to do Ironman. You know, and then Bevan at the end of his career kind of checked put his feet in the water, had some success, but ultimately didn't do that well at Kona. Um, and it's, it, do you have that desire? Mm. And, you know, I just uh, he seems to be kind of saying that he is. So I'll be really curious to see that what happens next year. Because it's an interesting year. The Olympics is early enough that he can do Olympics and still kind of turn up to Kona in a pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. So I think the thing is, getting his ass kicked a few times is probably going to help get that desire. If it had sort of started to come pretty easy. You said no, but because it, it killed Bevan. Mm. You know, like Bevan, he was talking about him mm. as a competitor. Oh, yeah, yeah, and he's tough as nails. Yeah, and he got, basically, he just thought, bugger this, can't be bothered. Mm. And I think when you're a little bit longer in the tooth, mm. that can happen because you've, you've had your career, you've proven yourself, I've got my medals, I've got nothing to prove, mm. you know. Yeah. Well, so, inter- uh, and the other thing that's interesting for me is is whether it's just a nutrition related issue, if he's not getting that right, or if his body is just not so good at long distance racing. So, uh, it's interesting times ahead. It's, it's that unknown factor when you you know when you're going into lots of races, you go, oh yeah, Sanders probably going to win, um, Keenlay's probably going to be pretty good. With Brownlee, you just don't know what you're going to get. It's going to be great. Uh, I hope uh, they have some live coverage of this race. Will we see Gomez and Kona next year? Yeah, he's already qualified. He qualified in Malaysia a couple of weeks ago. Oh, that's right. He's done and dusted. So it's going to be ITU good. are taking it by storm. No, you say this every time, <laughs> and only one person has done it. Um, okay, John, Ironman's updated their website. They've gone new oh, age. Hold on, we haven't talked about the other... other oh, yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm jumping in. Hey. Yes, 
Correct. Yeah, I'm doing my job here, okay? I literally just saw this this morning, and I think, though, by and large, from my probably one-minute analysis, I think it actually looks really good. And the reasons I think it looks quite good, uh, it, seems, it seemed logical for me to go and actually find things. Yep. And the other thing that I liked on there is they've indexed all the um, past races in terms of their live coverage. So rather than going back and trolling through the Facebook page trying to find um, which particular race you're after, uh, you can go on here now, and you can you know, just go straight to their uh, previous coverage of past races so I think that's a it's a good move uh, and it just you know just like the look of it yeah because the thing about I mean is they've got a lot of content they're going to put out there they have you know not just as in the races but they've got races pro coaching programs resources connect shop live live sorry so there's you know, it's, there's a lot I, of information on this website. I guess the one area that is missing, now that I think about it, is there's not really a new section in terms of, you know, if you're going wanting to find out what the pros are up to and race reports, etc. They've, they've obviously clearly said that's not our market. We're not a media. We're not uh, out there to promote. I yep. guess the stars and the races. We're an events company, but I think that's what's really missing, and that's uh, to the detriment of the pros in terms of having a big profile there. You know, when you're watching, they've got all these video clips here. It's very much about the the age group experience, encouraging people to race. There's not so much that I can see so far. Um, it's not all about building stars and building profile uh, of the top athletes. I wonder how well the Ironman coaching program is going. Oh, pretty strong, I think. You do? Mm. Yeah, well, it's, it's an easy business model because once you've set it up, it's just kind of profit, mm. but I'm kind of curious to see how many people actually go through the model. But Okay, uh, coming up races, John, we've got a race happening in Ironman, Arizona. We have indeed. So we're pre-profit race only. Looking uh, all the way back, it started in 2005, and the first race, Kate Major took that out, then McKaylee Jones, we've had a whole different bunch of winners, Leander Caves taken it out, Sam McClone, Chrissy Wellington went 8.36 there once. 8.07. 8.07. No, Leander Cave did a sub-8. No, I must have come him right. I'm not sure where you're looking. Um, Where's this? Previous winners? Previous winners. Where's an 8.07? Maybe oh, that, that I'm looking at the men's results. Okay. <laughs> Timo Brack did 8.07. <laughs> but it's right next to it. You can see where I went wrong there. Fair enough. <laughs> Last year, Heather Jackson had an amazing performance. She went 8.39, which was blistering. So last year, she took it out uh, by... Six minutes in front of who I rate as the um, least championed uh, or underrated ath female athlete in the world almost, Carrie Lester. She went 8.44. Uh, this year lining up, we have uh, Sarah Crowley and Heather Jackson. That should be a fantastic race. Torsten's statistical ratings has them finishing within a minute of each other. Close. Um, and then you've got Lindsay Corbin, Meredith Kessler, Maureen Health and Lauren Brandon. But more likely than not, it's going to be a bit of a battle between those two. Uh, and Heather Jackson has... A little bit of an, uh, yeah, she's a little bit weaker in the swim, but a little bit stronger on the, the bike, uh, and then they're about the same on the run, so it could be a really interesting race. Sarah Crowley had a really good Kona until she detonated uh, with uh, going up Mark and Dave Hill, and Lucy Charles managed to repass her, but she's been a consistent performer, so, uh, and also... She only needs to, but she only needs to validate. Where Heather Jackson needs to, to qualify. Uh, there is two slots. Uh, Lindsay Corbin's also Kona qualified already, so we could see a little bit of a roll down here in terms of uh, you know it's going to go to the third and fourth finishes. Um, so it should be good racing, female only, as Bevan said. Uh, I mean, Cosmo was also happening uh, this weekend. Now is that both female and male? It is, it is indeed. It? Yep. Okay. Yep. Pretty big male field. It is. So first race there was held all the way back in two thousand and nine, and Rudka Biki took it out. 
out there. The Belgium and Yvonne Vlam Verken in the 906 and 818 respectively. Uh, last year Michael Weiss took it out in 758 and Svenja Fals from Germany. I've got to have her as a as a uh, pro of the week. Never heard that name in my life. Uh, she went 856, so that was pretty awesome. Um, <clears throat> on the guys' side, quite a few good. Oh, there's been all sorts of scratchings overnight since I last checked this. Andreas Raylert's out, Matt Russell's out, um, but you have got Tim O'Donnell who's uh, just got to validate, so I reckon he'll just cruise it fairly, yeah. fairly comfortably. Um, we'll see if he does his uh, the, the wife performance where he has a bag of chips on the run, but I reckon, given how deep he went in Kona, I don't reckon. Uh, I don't reckon he's going to be spanking it. Pat Patrick Nielsen is seated. Uh, was ranked number one on Torsten's rating. You've got Brent McMahon. We haven't seen him really firing in a big way over the last few years. Michael Weiss, Chris he was Leiferman. up there for a while, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, his first something like his first four Ironmans were all sub eight, with the yeah. exception of a Kona or something like yeah. that. Uh, Freddie Van Laird's still cranking along, and uh, probably one name I think here you want to watch out for is uh, I believe it's his first Ironman. Peter Hemerick. Uh, so when you look at his results from this season, everything has been a first, a second, or a DNF. They've all been 70.3s. So who is he? Uh, so he's from Belgium. Uh, used to do a bit of short course racing. I'm pretty sure that name rings a bell. I've only looked at his 29 results. God, he's done a few races. He's done three, four, five, six, I don't know, probably about 12, at least 12 half Ironman races. And as I said, Everything's been either first, second. He DNF'd in Nice, uh, and it looks like it's going to be his first Ironman. So he could be, could be a bit of a surprise. So we'll talk about the girls in a second, but six pro slots. No, you dreaming, Bevan? Well, Cosmo has three plus three pro slots. Huh? I'm Do not dreaming, know. John. No, I'm reading them from the the Forsens spot oh, here. Yeah, that's more than a. Uh, Regional championship race. I didn't pick up well, on that. Well, maybe it is a regional champion. 100,000? I don't think so. No, because that could because we've got the South American championship the weekend after, okay. which is in Argentina and Mel de Plata. So good pickup, Bevan. Yeah. Nice work. Thanks, mate. Thanks. So man. that's going to... Um, it's not if I get praise from you, so... <laughs> make it interesting because Tim O'Donnell's already got his slot. Yeah. So it's never an easy place. It's never easy to qualify, but... Uh, Easier. It's interesting they're giving so many slots away so close to Kona. Mm. You know, but hey, good on them. Uh, uh, girls of the race. Female side, we've got, didn't I say Carrie Lester was listed somewhere else? Uh, maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway, she's seeded number one because Laura Phillip and Marinda Carfrey both have their lines through their name as scratchings. Svenja Tulls, who finished first last year, and Susie Cheatham are up there, along with Angela Neath, uh, Alexandra Tondeur, Michelle Vesterby. Uh, so there's a whole bunch. And my pro of the week, she's going to win. She's taking it out. Um, Maya Stage Nielsen. And you'll hear about her later in the show. I reckon she's going to take it, Bevan. Okay, very good. Um, John, we've also got some non-iron branded races. Yeah, not much going on at the moment. We have uh, this weekend. We have the Kenisa Extreme in South Africa, which is another one of these X triathlons. Uh, I had a quick look at the video clip. Looked nice. Looked nice and rural. Like most people, my initial thought when you're thinking racing in South Africa out in the remoteness, you're probably going that's scares me a little bit but then I thought with this these sort of races you've got your support crew with you the whole time yeah. so I think you'd uh, feel good it looked, uh, looked like a cool event okay John's ITU update what's happening John? Mm. John's ITU update uh, I, read, I just 
Some of you guys might want to read this article. It's on triathlon.org. Margot McIntosh shares her anti-doping violation experience. When you see people... I did read this. It was actually really interesting, wasn't it? I felt really sorry for her. Yeah, so often you see athletes making excuses when they tested positive for a substance and it's really hard not to be cynical about it going oh they're making it up tainted meat or there was that case of somebody who had the the hemp oil recently i think was yeah. some massage that was a pro and that kind of ended her career and you hear them come out with excuses and you're going i kind of want to believe you but i've heard all this before it's just you're talking out your ass i'm not quite sure and i'm sure this was a similar experience that margot mcintosh had she's an australian very good age group uh, athlete uh, i think she, she, she won she won the one world titles yeah and she tested positive. Um, and so if you want to, f- you read it probably in more detail than I did. Thing. So, so what happened was she used a supplement. supplement. Mm. It was a pre-race drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the branding, so it, the, the, the substance had been recently banned. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the packaging, the company had named it a different thing. Yeah. But, but first of all, like I remember when I did wrote and we got blood, I got drug tests. Mm. You know, it was a waste of time, but you know, mm. but they did, they did it for you and I because we're in the pro field. And I remember trying to figure out, I think I was using something like quinine sulfate, and I was trying to find out what was banned and what was not. You needed a bloody degree mm. and you needed to study for 25 hours just to figure it out. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. Oh, absolutely. And so she basically got done and she's, she's put her hand up. She said, You know what? It's my job to know these things. Um, I take responsibility, but I want to talk through my experience so you guys can understand what's happened here. However, one thing that she was very clever on and doing is uh, prior to the race, there was a form that they were to fill out, and I'm not sure if this was immediately before her doping control test or if it was just something that everybody did. Um, She specified on that piece of paper, these are the substances that I'm taking or these are the products that I'm taking. Mm. So she had specified. She wasn't trying to hide it or anything like that. It was a case of... Yeah, I mean, geez, does does everybody go through every single uh, item of food that they have pre-race? Uh, but it's probably not food; it's it. probably more supplements. Supplements, isn't it? yeah. yeah. But um, that's another reason why, I like you know, and with uh, the extreme endurance products, um, well, most of them they've got the informed choice tick, so you know that it has been certified as being okay. Well, and so maybe that's all you can do now. Yeah, you know, maybe if you're an age grouper, because mm. let's be honest, most people are taking supplements, mm. some form of supplements. Um, or some form of sports drink or protein powder or something like that. Yeah. It's just worrying. But if you're interested in finding out a bit more about this, go to triathlon.org. It's on their homepage there. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes. And her, her, her penalty was reduced to 90 days. Mm. I wonder if she lost her title. She must have. Must have done. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But yeah, she was she, she was actually, I thought she was, she was very mature about it. Mm. Um, and she took responsibility. To me, I kind of feel, yeah, it would suck if it happened to you. Mm. You know, but it, that's the problem, isn't it? Because then you're going to get someone like her, who it definitely sounds like it's pretty unfortunate, mm. but then you're going to get the cheat, mm. who's going to say the same thing. Mm. And where's the line? Oh, it's a hard game, John. It is indeed. It's a hard, hard game. Okay, John, hot topic of the week. That's news this week. There's no news. <laughs> We're in a quiet time of the year. Take one other piece of news that I've heard a little whisper about. Oh, here we go. Is ITU's change is, is eventually going to come around to my thinking of saying, why the hell don't you just do super sprint races or sprint races at the Olympics? I thought Tokyo was going to be a sprint race, but I've heard whispers that it's going to be heading that way. Moving forward, not Tokyo. Not Tokyo. Because no, it's um, set in stone so it's now. Next, it's set in stone, but 
triathlon's going to be changing in terms Who's whispering? Of, Who's whispering? Oh, no, no, I just know whispers. What kind of whispering are they saying? Are they, are they giving you distances? Oh, there'll be, it'll be shorter distances, uh, whether, you know, uh, we'll wait and see, but uh, I'm sure it'll, if, if I was in charge, you're going, this is for TV audience, you know, as much as I'm a traditionalist and I do love Olympic distance and I think it's absolutely brilliant and I'm happy sitting there, it's people aren't going to sit there, um, they're going to sit there and watch uh, Super League uh, or that style of racing and, you know, w- I would imagine you're probably going to go to heats and finals of some sort of Super League format where, um, yeah, that's the way to go. You'll have um, much like they do because you've got to have enough scope to have uh, enough participants. So you've got to think, well, the moment at the Olympics, I think it's 70 athletes or maybe, maybe it's 60. Okay. So you've got to think, how the hell are we going to get 60 athletes uh, into a final? We can't really do that in Super League format. So whether you have uh, three heats and semis and finals or whether you have... And would that be over a couple of days like Super League or at the Olympics would it just be a one-day event? I don't know. Uh, I, I, I would think it will be a, a one-day thing. Maybe you yeah, well, I'm not quite sure. But okay, I so think let's, that's let's, let's take a little bit because it's a short show. Let's take a little bit into that. So, Olympic distance dies overall as pros then? Yes. Yeah, yeah, so, ITU good. series totally changes? Oh, well, I, I think it would, but the, the way I see the ITU series is you have a bit of everything. You have a bit of Super League, you have different formats of Super League stuff, you have an Olympic distance, you have an uphill. But the problem is money talks with, with that sort of stuff. Yeah. You've got to have the right venue to do all that sort of uh, carry on. But that's the beauty of the Super League format. It's easy. It's easy. Your cost is, is like a quarter of the size. Yeah. So that would open it up to having it at, at lots of different venues. Um, and your, you know, your impact, you know, you, they used to have around in Auckland and that was uh, up and down Queen Street, which is the main street, sitting street. Too expensive. Way too expensive. They could, if they could just come up a little two kilometre course up there, that'd be gold. And it's, so, and it's a bit of a spectator as well because you yeah. see the race a lot more. Mm. But you've got to have much, much, much smaller fields uh, and it's much harder than if you want the age group experience on top of that and if you want to have 500 to 1,000 age groupers racing, then it makes it a little bit more challenging. Yeah, well, so. so what happens there? Yeah, well, it's, it's a different problem. And that's where you maybe do it on two days. You have short course format one day and then you have a long course race the next day. But yeah, I would just like to see a lot of variety. But I think the way that the Olympics will probably go, the mixed relay is gold. It's yeah. awesome. Great yeah. spectator sport. It is great to watch, isn't um, it? And then you've got to have a race that's um, you know maximum uh, an hour long, whether that's heats and finals. I think that would be the only way they could go because you can't have more than 25 or so in a, a Super League race if you're going to use those really compact courses. Uh, so I think, just think that's the way it's going to go. Yeah, Back-to-back racing, that'd be fascinating as well, wouldn't it? Hmm. You know, in the Olympics. And we haven't seen that so much in the Super League recently. Those first few races, remember they had the format where there was a 10-minute break yeah. in between? That just looked brutal. Uh, so well, think how, how will it change an athlete? Uh, I think you'll get more. It, it kind of depends if there's still money in Olympic distance, but a bit like what we see now is we have specialists at 70.3 and, and specialists at Ironman, and there's, there's a few that cross over. But there's a lot of there's a lot that don't, and uh, and so I just think we'll see more and more specialisation. Someone like a Hayden Wild, a Kiwi fella, he's really really good at the short stuff, not quite as good at the long stuff yet because he's quite young. So I think we'll see a young person's game. Yeah, you probably see that it'll just be the life cycle of the athlete. You start super sprint, then you might go to Olympic, then you might go to half, and the slower you get, then you'll sort of transition onto Ironman. So I think it'll be a younger person's game. Yeah, yeah, it would be fascinating times. John, I read the uh, ITU book. Did you read it? I have read it, yeah. I didn't realise that, that they were trying to... So, so John, the ITU sent us a book that is a little kind of magazine-style booklet that talks about just trying to get 
into the Olympics. Mm. It, it was different to what I thought it was going to be. And we got given it because we get a credit in it because they mm. use some of the Legends of Triathlon podcasts. Um, I didn't realise that their, their original way of trying to get into the Olympics was to be a part of the modern team pentathlon. That was bizarre. And that was a big part of the story. So yeah, yeah they, were, they were sort of told to get into the Olympics um, buddy up with a modern pentathlon uh, and and use their organisation because there was no international yeah. organisation and it just sounded it like, like a shit mobs- fight. Mobs- <laughs> mobs- oh god, politics at the most. It was the Russians, wasn't it? It was the Russians yeah. were difficult with modern pentathlon because basically it's not really about what happens in it, but it's just like what got them across the line. There's this little booklet is and there was mm. yeah, I know. Did you know that was the case? I, I kind of did know that in the back of my mind. I didn't realise it was it's quite such a big part of it. But yeah. it was it was almost like it was a dead cert, right? We're teaming up with these guys and then they just all of a sudden went, No, nah, screw you guys, we're gonna go alone. Yeah. And uh, and the Olympics the Olympic dream was born. Yeah. So no, exciting. It was good stuff. I don't I don't think this is a little book that's for sale. I think it's just more of a internal resource almost, but I'll find out. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was just interesting. Yeah, it was, it was a good little read. Okay, John, this week's discussion. So how do you feel about ex-pros from other sports racing the age group as an Ironman? If you don't like it, what's your solution? Angus Boyd, good on the ex-pros. Uh, plenty of age groupers at the pointy end train more and spend more than some of the pros. Uh, age groupers, a prospective spe- protected species now. Let's just have inform- informed spectators and Ironman CEOs. If ex-drug cheats run past you, blow them a raspberry, don't give them a hug. Uh, Joseph Flynn's got no problem with ex-pro athletes racing as age groupers if they're not a pro triathlete. I'd be stoked to see Tiger Woods in the lineup. Pro cyclists may have some advantage, but that's why it's a race as three disciplines. Very tough to be excellent in all three. Mark Dixon, I don't mind at all as long as they aren't ex-cyclists who have been caught and banned for past taking special juice. I kind of agree with that, but once you're punished... Now, once you've been punished for something, do you get, keep getting punished for the rest of your life? Um, if you've been busted for drugs, you go, right, you've served your time, you're allowed to carry on, or do you just hang that over them the whole time? Well, you always hang that. You've always got it hung over you because mm. you've been known to be proven to cheat in things in life. Yeah. So you're always going to have a scar, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like guys who come out of jail and try to get jobs. It's it's you're scarred yeah you know and, and that's maybe fear or unfear but it's kind of what it is Richard Phillips got is how good is it to see pro still excited and loving the sport after the end of their pro career love having them on the start line and continuing to inspire all Rich Walker's got an interesting one there <laughs> yeah if you've been a professional sports person person in any sport then you cannot race as an age group of five years after you stop the sport or you you can compete but can't qualify for any world championships for 10 years. Perhaps another way would be how many hours you work in your job. Less than 20 hours per week and you don't qualify <laughs> as an age grouper. And that's the thing, it's so murky. Good old Glenn Newbold here. Uh, yeah, that doesn't make sense. I play professional basketball and I suck at triathlon, <laughs> but I enjoy it. Just because you're a professional athlete in a sport doesn't mean you have an advantage over the common age grouper. I reckon, I bet you like a linebacker yeah. or you know, like, you know, like a big, big prop in rugby. Mark Ryan, I would suggest pro, former pro athletes from endurance sports related to triathlon swimmers cyclists runners and triathletes compete in legends categories uh this maintains the media interest in the sport and gives those athletes another chance to answer the questions that started ironman who is better they will bring a lifetime of full-time training to the table that is an amateur never had the opportunity to obtain just as dopers benefit from not uh not just doping while but reap the rewards and benefits of high volume and high intensity for years after the fact uh, Gary, uh, Jeff Morgan, no problem with it as long as they haven't failed drug tests in the past. If they have, even if they're served a ban as a pro, they shouldn't. They should be banned from age group categories. By all means, let them take part, but not in the age group classification. 
Have you done Carla? Carla Chandler? It's no. not that I don't like it. It certainly makes the age group race more difficult to qualify. However, for spectators, etc., it makes the race competitive. However, my theory is perhaps make picking up a pro license more amenable to those super fast athletes, i.e. there are a number of athletes who have the ability, however, are working full-time jobs, etc., meaning they don't have the same opportunity to train. So either they risk getting flogged in the pro field or they can race age group and have a better chance of winning age group categories. I get that it's a matter of where does the money come from, so it's a bit of a pie-in-the-sky type stuff. But in the ideal world, being fast enough to be a pro should come with benefits that are attractive enough to wanting your license. There's been quite a few other comments here of people saying no issue with it as long as they're not involved with drugs and that was sort of a fairly common theme. Um, but even going to, you know, the argument of you work versus the guy who doesn't work, mm. bad luck. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, because, like, you know, like I won my age group and I was working 12 hours a week at that time, mm. you know, and it meant that I could train 20 hours a week. Now my work means I was doing 30 hours of exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a choice I made. Exactly. You know, I made a choice not to work yeah it's a hard one so yeah I just find it's I, I find it an interesting one personally I just think it's it, it does grind me a bit when you see um, ex-pros and ex-top cyclists etc winning kind of titles it just uh, it doesn't I don't know it doesn't bother me it doesn't bother you no because it's like it's more probably more the doping side of things like, yeah I, I, you're bringing your scars over to our sport mm. you know I definitely get that and, and there is a benefit if you've been using dopes for years you're definitely going to be a machine because of that benefit you've had so mm. I definitely get those ones but you know because if, 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 the thing is athletes love movement athletes mm. love competing and so if you've given up your reins as a runner or a cyclist or a swimmer you still want to have a competitive side to your mm. life and, and what are they supposed to do? You know, yeah. there's, no, there's no option for them. Other than, as some people have pointed out, having another category. And, and I know when I go to races, I would like to be able to race in an open category, if it, especially if it was a wave start system where you're going to... Um, so you have all your age groups, but you also have it open for An open race series. where you've got the guys that really want to go for it. And whether that means you're not going to be eligible for age group kind of slots or anything like that, um, a lot of time that wouldn't bother me. Uh, so, but that wouldn't work then. Mm. You'd almost need a slot for that category. Mm. You know, so yeah, I guess um, it doesn't. But I'm happy for them included. But I think with most people, it's just that doping thing that grinds me. But because it's, it's only endurance athletes where you're, you're, you're like this question doesn't matter for any other sport. No, as Glenn Glenn Newbold pointed out, um, yeah, basketball players probably doesn't apply. Michael Jordan and, comes to, to the triathlon. We want them in our sport. <laughs> yeah, and the reason this came up, there was an article last week. Oh no, there was a, a Adam Hansen who's a pro cyclist, and, and I actually read the, an article yesterday on him. Uh, he's still a pro cyclist, so I didn't realise that. Um, and he went to go and did whatever it was, was it Florida a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, it was Florida. And he performed quite well, but I think he got eighth in his age group. And he's still actually a pro cyclist. He just kind of said, I want to do an Ironman. I'm going to go do one. He can't get a pro license, so what the hell is he supposed to do? Yeah. Um, yep. So it's a tricky one. I just think leave it as it is. Okay. Yeah, yeah, same. It's, A, what can you do with it? Mm. Other than maybe having a category. But even then, I don't know. It's that whole thing. Remember when Lance Armstrong wasn't busted yet? And there's that guy, when he retired from the Tour de France, and he did that mountain biking race. Mm. And a guy beat him in a mountain bike race. It was big news at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how cool is it for that guy? Mm. You know, and if if you want to be the best, you know, and you beat that pro cyclist, how cool is that? Oh, yeah. You know, so... You know, again, you think of like someone like Molina, who we know well. Um, It's cool having him racing. Oh, it's Uh, awesome. 
So and he isn't he isn't won every race he's done since he's been an age grouper. Mm. No, he's won a lot, but mm. you know, like yeah. So chapel up, Melina. Okay, though, just week's discussion. Where's my environmental one? It's next week. Oh, this week's discussion. It's a pretty simple one, guys. Uh, what is the funniest or most cringeworthy thing that you have seen at a triathlon? And John's quite happy to have toilet humour on this toilet, one. Yeah, we need we need to lighten things up. Lighten things up. Okay, so the most funniest or cringeworthy thing you have seen, seen or been a part of? Oh, either or. Okay. You add that in? Yep. yep. Or either or. Or either or. Let's do Pro of the Week. Oh, no, let's do Pro of the Week first. Pro of the Week. week. She's going to be taking out the Iron Man this weekend. I've just got that feeling. I've got that feeling. Carry on. Uh, the night's going to be a good night. No, different song. I don't even know. I've, I've, I can only do one line. Wait, do it again. I got that feeling. Is it inside my heart? I don't know. Never heard of it. Okay. Maybe it's one that I made up myself. I, I, th- I, I thought it was going to be... Ah, uh, uh, hooked on a feeling. Do, 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 do. No. Okay, pro of the week this week, Maya Stage Nielsen. Uh, never heard the name before. She has done some good results, but I hadn't heard the name before. And I just looked at the Kona results and I thought, I looked down the list. So who have I not heard before? She's born on the twenty fourth of July in nineteen eighty eight, so she's thirty one years old in Esberg in Denmark. Uh, she's a physiotherapist by trade. But what was int- what I found really interesting was she was a former top golf player. Whoa. So she went from golf. She shouldn't be racing straight golf. To she shouldn't exactly. be racing. She, she ra- I think I think I read that she was on the women's European tour for two years uh, and been playing since she was ten or something like that. Really? So I thought that's an interesting transition. Uh, she did her first triathlon in twenty ten. Did her first Ironman in September twenty sixteen uh, and advanced very quickly into the professional ranks because in twenty seventeen she was twelfth in Kona. Uh, the following year, she was 15th, and then this year, she was 11th. She was six seconds quicker this year um, than the previous year, and we know that, that last year was uh, a real record-setting day, so she probably performed a lot better, uh, and she did move up four places. But 11th is the most suckiest position oh. for Ashley Kona. It's not quite as bad as what it used to be, because it used to be, I think the top 10 used to get slots for the, the next yeah. year. And 11th gets no prize money, no slot. It's just like you're... And you can't say you're top 10. No. You know, like top 10's got a lot of credibility, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, also, I will give her some credit. Her website is nice and up to date. She's got a little report on all her major races that she's done. Um, and she was a top Dane again in Kona. So she was proud of that. But she really does want to get that top 10. Uh, so f- last season, she was second at Ironman Lanzarote. Uh, third at Ironman Copenhagen, where she qualified. Uh, and she also had a seventh at a 70.3. Um, Torsten Gay, on her, his statistical rating, it's not a opinion-based statistical rating only gave her a 2% chance of making the top 10 and she only missed out by one slot so Torsten she almost she almost showed you up um, but yeah some, some really good results I'm surprised I haven't seen her name come up more often uh, so she had a third last year in Hamburg um, she had a ninth in South Africa uh, so she had some good results um, and from not a, a massive sort of triathlon pedigree so good on her She's a really fit, former pro golfer. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Isn't it? She's racing this weekend. I reckon she's due for a win. Good luck. Good luck. Okay, John, let's do a sponsor before we go into the interview. Sponsor. Actually, just name, name her name again, just so you remember. Maya Stage Nielsen. Maya Stage Nielsen. Sponsor. 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 Extreme endurance, John. New product coming out. Tell me about it. I'm liking the look of it. All in one superfood plant protein. Is it called Lean? 
It is called Lean. Okay. So for you guys that are perhaps going down the vegetarian path and uh, or plant-based eating, uh, it's got a cookie dough flavour. It's basically a protein. Oh, it's I love a, cookie dough. It's a lean, low-carb, plant-based, all-in-one shake you can enjoy any time of the day. Its nutritional makeup is both complex and comprehensive, containing elements of nutrition uh, of a nutrition meal that is great to complement a well-balanced diet. With 20 grams of plant protein and organic greens, you may choose this as a meal replacement or a midday snack depending on your goals. The smooth, delicious taste would be hard to resist just having one. Mm-hmm. So it's plant-based protein formulation from non-GMO pea and chickpea proprietary formula. Uh, innovative, smooth texture, texture and the important thing is, got the informed choice, uh, informed sport, and informed choice certified. So you can feel confident that you can take that product along with a bunch of the other extreme endurance products and know that you're not going to have to check the labels in huge detail. And then, as Bevan said, go and check the wider band list. You can take it and know that you're taking good product and confidence. Check so, it out, lean. Yeah. Lean, check it out at xendurance.com. They've got Lean Plus as well, John, but Lean Plus is more of a, a weight loss. Lean Jump body ahead, mass. That's, I'll say, I'm saving that for next week. Oh, okay. Well, it's, it's Lean and Lean Plus. Lean and Lean Plus. You can lean into these ones, John. That's right. Oh, they, they, they've got so many products nowadays. They have. They swipe across, CB Deep. Oh, they've still got Extreme Endurance, John. They have. The, the, the Tried original and true. product. Check it out, xendurance.com. Uh, yeah, and check out your Lean if you want to get some uh, low carb. Protein-based, plant-based protein. Okay, John, let's get into the interview. What DC Raymaker coming on? The legend that is DC, or Ray... Ray... Raymaker? Raymaker, there you go. Uh, great website. Check it out here is DC Raymaker. Okay, guys, uh, we haven't had DC Rainmaker on the show for, for some time, and uh, Bevan and I both were talking before we came on, and if somebody asks us a question, oh, what sort of trainer should I get, or what sort of watch should I get, uh, we basically just go, go to dcrainmaker.com. <laughs> um, and it's obviously uh, an ever-changing space in terms of the technology, so we thought it would be a good time to get them, get them on, especially with a lot of you guys uh, going into your Northern Hemisphere season, um, and you may be thinking about upgrading your trainers, etc., so we'll have a chat to him about all things technology so welcome back to the show ray oh thank you appreciate it we're gonna be back and just we were talking before we push record you know years ago when we used to interview you there was very much a part-time thing that you did on the side but you have transitioned to this being your full-time when did you make that transition and and what's what's the change in life been like for you i it's been about three years now i think since i made the the switch over um and you know it's, it's funny like in a lot of ways it's just it was a sort of a blended thing where I started off as a hobby and then it became like a second job effectively and then eventually I just sort of stopped doing my regular job not, not like stop as I just decided to not show up one day but it's kind of the same thing I you know put your letter in and call it done and but uh, so it's kind of been like a gradual transition it was a gradual transition but it's just gotten busier and busier so it's one of those things that it's not like I got extra time back in the day um, it just filled with with more stuff and are you loving it. I do. It's fun. It's a uh, like I always say. My my stale joke is I'm basically a professional athlete without being fast, right? So I got to swim, bike, and run as my full time job, um, just not very fast. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, okay. So first questions I sort of had was was around uh, trainers and and guys. Um, we had somebody comment, I think it was Matthew Bins maybe on our Facebook page and he sort of said, you know, just tell Ray that he does a great job because he's not a techno guy um, and he can understand, you know, the way that you write rather than it not being a super technical manual. So we know that some of you guys will be going on there and, and read every single uh, element of, of the reviews, but 
but um, just in terms of smart trainers, you know, over the last 12 months, have we have we seen much movement in terms of what um, what's going on in, in the market and, and any significant product developments? I think it's been a bit more of a gradual gradual shift. I think, you know, if we went back like five to seven years ago, there was major developments in the trainer world First, companies like Wahoo coming into it um, and, and really kind of changing the entire trainer landscape. And then in the last, I would say, two years, we've seen trainer companies start to solidify almost into an Apple-like model of yearly or annual releases, sort of minor updates each year. Um, whereas this year was very actually kind of little updates on the trainer front, uh, though every company was, with the exception of Wahoo, putting out new trainers. Um, we saw instead more companies get into the indoor smart bike realm, which is where Wahoo did concentrate their efforts on this year. So these full, you know, two or three thousand dollar indoor smart bikes that have all the things of a of a trainer and a bike combined. So a lot of focus there, uh, but. As for the actual trainers, it's been funny. You know, one of the things that we've seen this year in 2019, the fall 2019, is that these companies have announced and pushed a lot of smart trainers this year, but a lot of them aren't very good. Um, and not that they're bad products, but they're not ready for production. Um, and I've seen time and again this past fall where you know new trainers have come out and had a really rough go. This has by far been the worst year for uh, trainers hitting the market that just weren't simply were not ready to to be sold yet. Um, but I think in now here in you know mid-November, we're finally getting past some of that. I'd say like we hit that the top of that curve late October where a lot of companies that released firmware updates for products that they had started shipping back in, in August or announced back in August. Uh, and now it's kind of the point where I think we're finally getting some stabilization. Like after this call here, I'm going to jump on a trainer that I'm hoping will be my first successful ride on it. They got a new firmware update uh, to me last night, and I think it will work. I'm hoping it'll work, but if not, it'll be my like third or fourth attempt to to have a ride on it. So we'll see. So, in t- when you say things are going wrong with the trainers, is it t- generally a, a hardware issue or more software type issues or connectivity? I'd say it's mostly software, but not exclusively. We've seen from all the the major manufacturers this this fall, um, them have manufacturing issues in some way, shape, or form. So, and I could rattle through every single trainer and every single company having having issues, but it's been a blend. And I think a little bit's been companies are moving too fast to get trainers out the door, so they don't have the time to properly QA their production manufacturing, um, not facilities per se, but their entire kind of production life cycle. And so they get these trainers out the door and they come back three weeks later and realize that, you know, they're missing QA on some piece because they didn't have time to do a proper multi-month sort of test of the units coming off the line. Uh, So it's been a a tough thing and a lot of it's been accuracy focused. So we're units won't be as accurate as past units were. So you expect when you buy a brand new trainer that it would be as good as last year's trainer. Uh, but that was definitely not the case this year. Uh, but the only exception to that being the the Saris H3, uh, the Hammer 3 from Saris used to be Cyclops, um, was a better trainer than last year and didn't really have any, any teething pains for the most part. I can share people's frustration on that front. I bought a new computer the other day and it's not performing any better and I'm going absolutely mental about it. Um, just, uh, you, you also mentioned there that you know, the bikes that have come out and some people will have seen those in terms of the all-in-one trainer as a bike. Do, do you, you gut feeling on that? Is this something that triathletes are going to get or is it just... Uh, well, they're just that kind of Peloton market. Yeah. It's, I think... It's, it's sort of the same as trainers. It's early days there. Um, I, I think absolutely that is a direction of not everyone because everyone's not going to be able to afford a 
two and three thousand dollar bike. But I think if we look at that market, it's super appealing to be able to jump on a bike that's already set up. Everything just works. It's good to go. There's no like mm. things like you know making sure that your shifting is right or all that kind of stuff is just done and dealt with. Um, that's appealing. But I don't think the products that are in the market today have nailed what I would want to spend three thousand or thirty five hundred bucks for. I think there's some nuances there that just need to be. They're all first gen products, right? They're all the first go at this, and a lot of these companies are learning things from the past. Um, and even the companies like uh, Watt Bike that had uh, indoor bikes in the past. Their first entrance, and this one was two years ago now, um, is fairly strong, but it's not at the same technical level of today. So they learned all of like the indoor bike lessons, um, life lessons of um, building an indoor bike over the course of, I guess, decades of experience. So they had that problem solved, but they didn't necessarily have all of the how to build a great smart trainer solved. And then you flip that around, and you look at something like Tax or Wahoo, and they had the inverse problem where they know how to build great trainers, know how to build great smart trainers and a whole interactive experience, but don't necessarily know how to build great bikes. And so you see things like on the Wahoo Kicker and the Kicker bike that is, and on the Tax Neo bike, uh, what I call a thigh gap problem, which means that your thighs rub on the frame of the bike. Hmm. Uh, and so that's something you don't see on the Watt bike because, again, they've been doing this for decades and they understand that kind of stuff. Uh, and so I these and I may sound negative on some of these smart bikes um, they are great bikes but for me if I'm spending three thousand dollars on something it needs to be a fantastic bike uh, not just a mostly goodish kind of bike I think you just need to trim those quads down I think you've been doing too, too much riding <laughs> when we get to um, that's, that's the problem <laughs> in regards to the, the feel of those bikes like I teach a lot of spin classes and you know so I'm used to the kind of your traditional spin bike but the white the bikes like the what bikes in there are they trying to be a replacement for a, a proper road bike or TT bike and if so what's the feel like on those bikes in comparison to if you're just going to be on a train or if you're a real bike it's virtually identical. So if you look at something like the the Tax Neo bike, uh, that is literally a Tax Neo 2T trainer inside of it, just inside of the bike frame. So it's the exact same innards, all that stuff is identical. Uh, if you look at the Wahoo Kicker bike, that is effectively actually a Neo um, inside of it, not a Wahoo Kicker. It's a different technology, so they're using electrical magnetic uh, flywheel air. So a little bit of different technology, kind of where the future of indoor training goes. So the feel of those bikes are very, very similar to what you get on a standard uh, smart trainer. So very different though than something like a Peloton bike or a standard spin bike where you've got this gigantic flywheel that just goes yeah. and goes and goes uh, and you have no control of it from an automatic resistance standpoint. So no ability to like set an 8% grade or set 250 watts on the fly or all that kind of stuff. Uh, you, know, you can't do that on a traditional spin bike, but you can do these on these indoor bikes here. Uh, but to your point though, of building an indoor bike, that's sort of actually what we've seen in terms of two different approaches if you compare for example, Wahoo and Tax. Uh, Wahoo clearly set out to build, to rebuild, I guess, more appropriately, in road bike indoors as part of a trainer. Like that was, I think, the mantra. And they built a fantastic road bike indoors. Like it's a great road bike. It goes up and down with the climb built into it, all that kind of stuff. On the other flip side, Tax set out to build a quote indoor bike, meaning that it's a bike designed for indoor usage from end to end. So things like there's a display, there's a little tree table where you can put your gels and all that kind of stuff that you would expect from a indoor focused experience. Um, now, which bike is better? That's tough. Like I think there are things that the Wahoo bike does better than the tax bike and vice versa, but I don't think the trainer industry at large has figured out how to build the best indoor cycling experience, which mm -hmm. is sort of a blend of those two, right? Because you know, if you just take your bike and put it indoors, 
there are these logistical questions of like, where do you put a tablet on there? Where do you put your phone? Uh, like Wahoo's kicker bike has a USB port on the front of it, but no place to put anything. So you, you plug something into it, but where do you place that? Do you stick that cable like in back into your pocket? Like all those little things that don't sound like a big deal until you sit there on the bike and go, huh, Yeah. I don't know how this works now. <laughs> Did I hear, and I'm not sure if it was correct or not, is Zwift going to be moving into sort of the, the bike hardware space? They definitely appear to be. Uh, so, And they've, they've said they're moving into a hardware space as to whether that's a, a bike or a trainer isn't 100% clear, though the job listings certainly uh, make it pretty clear. Uh, so yeah, last week they, actually I think about almost two weeks now, they posted a slew of, of job listings uh, that were focused on a new division called FitTech. Um, so it's their new hardware-focused division, and those job listings sort of spelled out the type of products they're looking at building, which <laughs> include things like um, you know, movement, so ability to go up and down, so what you would have seen in, for example, a Wahoo kicker bike with a kicker climb built into it, uh, they include a bunch of information around protocols and trainer control protocols and things like that. So they're clearly going into that realm. Uh, when I asked them for a comment, they did actually confirm that they were going into the hardware space, um, but they said that you know for now their focus is on their partners, um, but that they want to ultimately create the best Zwift experience. And to be fair, I I think there's a lot to be said for that particular line of thinking. Obviously, it's it's suited uh, Peloton incredibly well. Mm-hmm. and having a single, cohesive, end-to-end experience. Uh, and if I look at all the comments I get back daily, a large chunk of those are people dealing with incompatibility issues or people dealing with just the 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 pile of stuff needed to get an indoor trainer working properly. Uh, I mean, one of the things that Shane Miller, GP Lama, kind of always notes is how many pieces are really in this whole puzzle when you go to put a trainer or put a bike on a smart trainer and use it with an app, right? You've got your bike, You've got things like heart rate sensors. You've got putting it on the trainer. You've got power to that trainer. You've got power to an external display of some sort, right? So some either TV or something. You've got connectivity to that TV. You've got to make sure the sensors connect back and forth. All those things don't exist in the Peloton world. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have had a chance to try a Peloton bike anywhere. No, um, But it's, it's an astounding experience. Like, I get that not everyone in the triathlete world wants to um, or agrees with the, the Peloton workout structure or any of that kind of stuff, and that's, that's totally fine. But if you put that aside and go into it from a technological experience standpoint, you go, wow, this just works. You step on that bike, everything works on that bike, the display is all there, everything works end to end. You step off that bike, you've had a great workout, and you're done. Versus, as I'm sure you guys know, the whole experience of stepping on your bike and finding out, oh, this isn't working with this, now it's not connecting mm-hmm. with this, and it drives a lot of people crazy. And, and I think, you know, having a, a company like Zwift come in and say, you know what, we want to do end-to-end, just make it work, uh, is something that's going to be super appealing to a lot of people. Mm. So we've got a few dominant players now, you know, and you've been sort of mentioning Tax, um, Wahoo, uh, Zwift. Is, is there any new players that are coming in that are looking like they've got some really good products and looking like they will actually be able to survive now that there's some really well-established players? It's tough. Uh, I think we're starting to see, uh, and there are newer players coming in. For example, Four Eyes with their flight trainer. Uh, they acquired Stack, um, which made the Stack Zero trainer back uh, a couple years ago. And that's a trainer that has purely, it's magnet based, so there's literally no sound whatsoever on that trainer. Uh, in fact, that's the trainer I'm jumping on after this here. And I'll be riding it right next to 
three baby slash toddlers all sleeping on different sides of me. Uh, so one is a six week old, one is a, a you know just two years old, one's three years old, all sleeping within like three meters of me riding this trainer, and that'll be perfectly fine with thin walls and all that kind of stuff. So that's super cool technology, and that's definitely pushing things forward. But beyond that, we're also seeing a little bit of industry consolidation. For example, Be Cool was making trainers uh, up until a few months or a few weeks ago, and they stopped. They announced just two weeks ago they're going to stop making trainers and focus purely on the software side of things. Uh, and then we've seen other companies like Kinetic uh, really struggle in the last couple of years to to find a product that can compete in this marketplace. So I think there are good, strong competitors now. Like I think if you look at Wahoo and Tax uh, and Elite as well. Those three are undoubtedly the dominant players in the industry. And then you've got uh, sort of behind them a little bit, Aceris with the, the Hammer series. And then kind of a ways behind that is Kinetic. Uh, but beyond that, it's just there's a handful of smaller companies out there, like uh, Menorah is doing some stuff. And I've mentioned Four Eyes and others. Uh, but they've got to find that breakout product that sort of catapults them into the, the larger known crowd, if you will. Okay, I've got one final question on trainers because I want to ask a few other questions around other other areas. And I, and I know you guys do a podcast. I'm not sure if you do it weekly or not, but you manage to talk about this sort of stuff every week for I don't know how, how long you're podcasting for. So we're, we're trying to condense things in. But just in terms of if people are looking at a trainer, um, you know, looking to purchase one, what are the key differences between you know a mid-range trainer and let's you know, a mid-range smart trainer um, and what you're going to get from from a top-end trainer? So the, the main, I'd say, three things are essentially, number one, the road feel or the inertia. So in other words, how much like the outdoors does it feel like? And inertia is mostly driven by the size of the flywheel in the back. The, the more weight there is, the more inertia, the better it feels. Um, that's mostly a feel thing. And it's one of those things that if you didn't know any better, you probably think one trainer feels great. And then you go, you know, try something else. And you're like, oh, that one's even better. And I wish I never knew that existed sort of thing. It's like, you know, like you find like an amazing cheeseburger. And then all of a sudden you find even better cheeseburger. You're like, oh, now my cheeseburgers are ruined, right? It's the same sort of thing. Um, so there's a bit of a, you know, it's just a feel thing there. The next beat is accuracy. Uh, so how accurate is that trainer? You know, plus or minus 1% or 2%, et cetera. For the most part, though, trainers in the last 18 months have really consolidated down to almost all of them being plus or minus 2%. So that's not as big of a deal anymore. Uh, and then the last thing is a lot of the specs around gradient and max wattage. In other words, how much incline can it go ahead and replicate? Can it replicate 12% or 18% or 20% and how many watts and, and all those sort of bits there? Um, I would say the one thing for folks to keep in mind is that a lot of the gradient type stuff is probably overthought. And this is actually something that uh, Shane Miller and I, who on the, the Fit File podcast that mentioned a second ago, we're talking about recording this morning in that for gradients, like if you go out and do a 20% um, hill, that's miserable. Like there's no part of that that anyone actually wants to do on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And if you look at something like Zwift, for example, they have all of the, as an H-A-L-F, half, um, all of the gradients on the application by default. So if in Zwift you're showing a 10% hill, it's only actually saying 5% to your trainer to replicate that hill. So if you go and say, oh, we need a, a trainer that can do 20%, well, by default, it's only going to send 10%. So I wouldn't focus too much on that sort of thing. I would focus more on the, the road feel and, and those sort of elements and the accuracy uh, and making sure the trainer is reputable uh, than necessarily just focusing on those top-end specs. 
Awesome. So um, a few other areas I want to ask you about was firstly um, optical heart rate uh, sensors because I know you will have done loads of testing on this and from a coaching point of view I see a lot of files and they're just rubbish when they mm. are saying was that on your wrist or was that a strap based uh, recording that, that I can see in training peaks so maybe give us a lowdown on optical heart rates, um, wrist based optical heart rates, um, how accurate they are and maybe who's doing, uh, who's doing the best at them. Yep. It's, it's a mixed game these days. So I would say like there's, it's easy to say that all optical heart rate is bad, but it's also as inaccurate as the data itself. There are some players that can do optical heart rate very well. Uh, part of the question is where you're putting that optical heart rate sensor. In other words, are you putting it on your wrist in a watch or are you perhaps putting a, on a strap that may be up on your upper arm or something like that? And so those straps that are on the upper arm actually tend to do very, very well. In fact, this time of year here where I am in, in Europe where it's cooler and drier um, and the temperatures are, are obviously quite a bit lower, that's where traditional chest straps tend to struggle quite a bit because they don't have that good connectivity unless you remember to lick it a bunch before you go out and run or put some sort of gel there or whatever the case is. Uh, and so in those scenarios, optical heart rate can actually do better, especially for the first like 10 or 15 minutes of a run. Um, where they tend to do worse though is, is it gets even colder and you're Wrists, for example, if you have a, a watch on there, um, that's going to be slower to respond in really cold weather uh, from an optical heart rate standpoint. So like if you go out and you use a loosely worn wrist, um, you know, Garmin or whatnot, uh, that's going to probably have pretty poor performance, especially in the winter. So I think the biggest thing for folks to remember in general about optical heart rate is to ensure that it is nice and snug. Uh, that's like rule number one, make sure it's snug. Um, you shouldn't be able to like slide anything in between the wristband and the, the wrist itself. Uh, if you can, then it's, it's too loose. It shouldn't move around at all. And that'll get your best results. Also make sure it's not on the wrist bone. So it should be a, a couple centimeters away from the wrist bone towards your elbow. Um, in terms of power meters, um, you know, again, that's a, a space that changed a lot probably a few years ago. Has there been much of a change uh, this year in terms of any, any new developments? Virtually nothing. Virtually <laughs> nice. nothing. This was this this was a, a dud of a year for new power meters. There's a handful of companies that put out just different crank variants, you know, so like adding support for a new crank set or something like that, but nothing new or major on the docket where you're like, oh, it's a brand new major power meter. No, no, it's it was basically like an empty year for new power meters. Uh, I we may see some stuff next year, but um, this was definitely an in between sort of year. What about for running? You know, we, we had the stride come out. Um, just your thoughts on powers for running, and is there any kind of new technologies coming through that makes it a more viable tool moving forward? Uh, so stride did, yeah, as you mentioned, announced back in what August, I think it was, um, their new wind incorporated stride power meter, running power meter, so it can account for wind. Uh, and it's been pretty cool. I went into a wind tunnel, did a bunch of tests with it, uh, and been running with it now the last couple months. And I think that's definitely a step forward. I think Stride's challenge here is that the watch ecosystem around them uh, doesn't support running power terribly well in the grand scheme of things. So, for example, Garmin supports it kind of haphazardly, and yes, there's a Stride app you can load in your Garmin, but there's things that you lose when you do that, like some of the structural workout functionality or all that kind of stuff you start to take away if you use Stride's app instead of Garmin's app. And so I think the challenge with, with running with power right now is there's just a lot of caveats to it. Um, if you really know what you're doing you can do it and you can do it mostly well but i think for a lot of people it's just kind of confusing and i think also doesn't help that 
they finally look at all these running power meters out there. So you take Garmin versus Stride versus a Polar one versus a Coros one versus RunScribe, and you shoot them all head to head. You're going to get different results. You're actually going to get totally different power. In some cases, hundreds okay. of watts different, uh, which makes it tough for someone like yourself, who maybe a coach, looking at that data, going, "How am I? I can't compare anything anymore. It's it's apples to pineapples or something weird." Yeah. Um, cool. And just uh, I know we're skimming through some areas. Just in terms of software options for for the trainer, you know, Zwift just seems to be absolutely crushing it at the moment. Obviously, Trainer Road, you know, that's been a favourite for for a long time as well. Um, is there any uh, any other good ones out there that are that are trying to sort of break in, and especially that are maybe priced a little bit lower? Because I know that um, Zwift and Trainer Road, you know, probably keep ratcheting up the price a bit. Um, but any any others out there that are doing a good job that are maybe priced. A a little bit lower and obviously with that you know you might lose uh, some of the benefits from those other ones but yeah what else is going on yeah i'd say check out uh some of the ones i've tried that I've, i'm enjoying um would be uh, the sufferfest is one they've done a lot of great work especially in the last year or two um and really improving that something that actually wahoo bought i think about six months or so ago something like that so um definitely worthwhile that's sort of a blend of what you see on trainer road but with a bit more entertainment factor too as well to keep you engaged in it. So I've found it, I did a couple of different Sufferfest workouts in the last few weeks here, and it's like like a good switch up, a good change up from just lifting or just uh, trainer roads. So that's one. Full Gas is another one, F-U-L-G-A-Z. Um, and they do mostly outdoor rides, so you're going, they have really high quality film videos. Uh, and a lot of the behind-the-scenes bits of how they do things are really, really good. Uh, for example, if you have a kicker plus a kicker climb, so if you have a, a, kick, a kick, I guess either a kicker core or a kicker and you have a, a climb with it, uh, their simulation of the climb is incredible. It's so much better than how Zwift does it uh, in terms of those up and downs and the hills and stuff. Like Once you try it once, you're like, ah, this is what the kicker climb was meant to be. Uh, so that's another great one to check out. There's also so Ruby, which used to be a Cyclops virtual training, but it's called Ruby now. Uh, and they have kind of a bit of everything. So they've got, you can do structural workouts, you can do outdoor workouts, uh, you can do augmented reality workouts, so all sorts of stuff there. It's a very much like a, a little bit of everything for everyone. And then probably the last one to take a look at would be KinoMap as well. So mm-hmm. KinoMap is somewhat similar to Ruby in that respect, so you can replicate uh, outdoor rides. There's some structured elements to that. They've got even some new Peloton-style classes in there as well if you really want to mix things up. Uh, so all those are definitely worth a, worth a look. Cool. We had a few random questions from some listeners. Uh, Duncan Penfold was saying he uses a Garmin 920 or now uses a 735, um, and it misses laps in the pool. It seems to happen when I start a lap when the watch is not set on screen one. Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't. Um, so yeah, just in terms of pool, using a you know a watch in the pool, any sort of tips or is that just the uh, Alex, uh, the accelerometer? I can't even spit that word out properly. Not working correctly. So what's what's the deal with swimming? with watches it is all about the accelerometer it's all about error correction and error avoidance uh, and we are seeing some watches getting better and better in that uh, so for example the new form swim goggles which is an indoor swim goggle that has fantastic accuracy in the pool um, doing a lot of stuff with gyros and accelerometers and a ton of math behind it all really, really good accuracy but watches is trickier and kind of one of the things i always say is avoid doing the YMCA song while you're at the pool. In other words, when you're at the pool with one of those watches, just focus on swimming. Like the more movements you have when you're at the end of a lane line or anything else at all, 
is going to impact it. Um, now, if you're just swimming by yourself and just you know doing what you think is normal and you're still having issues, uh, that's a tougher nut to solve. Uh, but I would say, and you know, things like even trying to pass someone uh, mid lane will oftentimes cause watches to uh, stutter. You know, there are all sorts of issues there. So just keeping it clean. That's the best way to describe it is keep yeah. your swim sets clean for these things to be accurate. We're going to have a question here from Deborah Neal, which is, why is the Wahoo Kicker have, why does my Wahoo Kicker have so many Bluetooth dropouts? Technology at its worst. That's pretty rare, to be honest. Okay. Uh, so, so you got generally bad speaking, one. dropouts, a uh, bad one, or more likely a bad environment. So uh, dropouts, generally speaking, are caused by Wi-Fi interference. So if, for example, you've got your Wahoo Kicker in front of your TV and your Wi-Fi router is a meter away right in front of it, that's probably not helping the cause. Uh, so I would see if you can move something around. Uh, so typically when I get like a rash of, of dropouts, I'll look around and try to figure out what I've added to the environment that's different and try to figure out what is nearby that's wireless that could be interfering with it. Final question we've got from Zach Clark. Um, when you go out training, how many watches do you have on at any one time? And, and likewise, when you go out on your bike, how many power meters, et cetera, do you have for humming? All the watches and all the power meters. Uh, <laughs> so a, a typical run is usually four watches. Uh, it's kind of the, the norm. Uh, so it's I do one watch per wrist, and I'll put, because uh, I don't want to have more than one watch on the wrist because that will impact optical heart rate, and then I'll handhold where I kind of put them over the top of my, like if you put your hand out, I'll put them like in between my thumb and the four fingers, around the four fingers almost. So that's not for optical heart rate. It's just to measure GPS and things like that. So one on each hand, so four usually. Uh, sometimes if I'm doing stuff in the mountains or whatever, I may take a couple more like on a camelback. But that's just, uh, that's usually if I'm trying to collect data for other reasons, like I'm trying to collect from other sensors or something, then I'll have maybe like six or seven watches. There was definitely some hikes this summer where I had six and seven watches on. Uh, for cycling power, usually no less than three. That's kind of the norm for power meters. So I'll have a pedal base set, I'll have a crank set base set, and then usually a power tab hub in the back. Um, but that's that's sort of the norm. And then an equal number of uh, bike GPSs to go along with that. So typically three is what I usually go with. Just, just lastly, what, what do you think is going to be five, 10 years from now? Uh, I think integration across the board. So I think more of that Peloton-style model, um, yeah. if we look at indoor training, for example, of everything's just a cohesive, just works factor, um, which doesn't mean that compatibility and, and open standards goes away. I think it just people are expecting things to just work, uh, yeah. and that's something that I think is a really tough tough nut to crack. And then like on the wearable side, I think uh, you know better integration with cellular connectivity. We see that today with the Apple Watch, of course, but... The Apple Watch isn't uh, fantastic at endurance sports, so I think we'll eventually see Garmin get into that realm, but there's a lot of blockers there that are very difficult for Garmin to solve, being not Apple. Uh, so some of the things that are more nuanced that people may not realize is if you have a, a iOS device or an Apple device and you use iMessage, Garmin actually can't tap into that to send messages. They're, they're blocked by Apple from doing yeah. that. So that makes it very, very difficult for Garmin to be that same level as an Apple Watch um, when they can't tap into something as fundamental and core as iMessage. Cool. Now, just in terms of things you're doing yourself, I noticed on your website um, a couple of things. Firstly, it looks like there's some really good sales. So maybe tell us, um, and it looked like they were mainly um, North American-based sales, but um, yeah, what's going on there if people want to get themselves a good deal? 
Yeah, this is definitely a time of year to get good deals, especially this week and then going into Black Friday. But really, actually, this week is almost a better week for big ticket items, uh, primarily in North America, primarily in the U.S. And as we shift into next week, we'll see more global sales, so a lot of European sales and and certainly numbers still in the U.S. But um, Europe usually does a good job these last last year, anyways, of having very strong Black Friday sales compared to the U.S. Uh, so. I'd be keeping an eye on that. I've got all those deals on a page that I update way too many times a day um, with deals that I find. And the same with Twitter as well. I'm, I'm publishing deals every night or things that kind of pop up or even all day long if it's a steal of a deal to, to go ahead and grab. And if, uh, if people want to support DC Rainmaker, he's also selling his Christmas gear online. Uh, so you can get yourself some funky DC Rainmaker Christmas gear. Anything else you want to get out there in terms of uh, things you're doing or, or anything you want to promote for, from a personal point of view? I think the only other one is the podcast. So mm-hmm. if, if you found the last uh, half an hour so interesting, then uh, check out the Fit File podcast. So Fit like F-I-T, then File like Files in a Computer. Um, it's myself and GP Lama or Shane Miller. Uh, and we basically just geek out on all the sports tech stuff and explain it and talk through the week's news with the stuff. So it comes out every week and we basically recap all of what happened that week. Uh, and we go down all sorts of crazy rabbit holes on uh, stuff behind the scenes on how things actually work. And it's, it's a good time. I'll have to get Shane on at some stage because uh, he also has some lots of, uh, he's got a very strong YouTube channel in terms of uh, fixing things and, and what have you. So, um, yeah, awesome, right? Uh, we'll let you crack on and go do that uh, testing and make Put sure you watch don't, on. Don't, don't wake up the babies. Um, so, guys, if you want to check it out, go to dcrainmaker.com um, if you're looking to do any tech purchases. So, Ray, thanks for your time and we'll talk again soon. And also recommend it to anyone you know because it, you know, everyone's buying tech nowadays and it's so confusing. DC Rainmaker is such a good website just to kind of clarify different price ranges different gear it's 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 the standard john that is indeed cool thanks ray yep thanks for having me on and i appreciate it john your thoughts that's all good could talk for him for bloody ages there's so much uh, happening in the technology space and as he said he's got his own podcast and they're able to talk about it for an hour or whatever every week um but yeah there's some some good stuff and it's great to just get some impartial reviews you know whenever you look at a lot of reviews you go yeah okay but yeah he's just, even just amazon's because reviews because a lot of companies always pay people to go do the reviews mm. so you want someone who's actually got to sit on the sidelines and, and think about dc rainmaker is ray does the work man mm. you know his website it's like whenever anyone comes up to me and says oh what, what should i get mm-hmm. just go to dcrainmaker.com yeah you know because he just and, and he's really good because he breaks down you know just listen to the guy who knows his stuff but he breaks down that buyer's guide and all the rest of it so check it out dcrainmaker.com i'll put a link to that and also the podcast that those boys do as well jumbo let's do wanger of the week give me a number one to 100 i lost two dollars at the races last week did you so number two aaron morgan he did 20 hours and 11 minutes of training spread across 19 activities. Nice balanced week, 3 hours 21 swimming, 12 hours 14 uh, on the bike and 7 hours and 35 minutes on the run. And Bevan's internet has just died, so oh. that's about all I can... Oh no, here we go, here we go. Here we're back. Uh, he's from Port Augusta in South Australia. Ooh, um, a nice spot. And he goes, he's got his, his Aragon bike there that he's gone out and ride, ridden on some uh, dusty old uh, road. And he's got his ba- bag of baby beetroots in his, uh, in his little, I, know, I think he's doing Ironman Western Australia because he's also got there 20 days until Western Australia. So, so he's got the Mr. Magoo photo? Yeah, yeah. He's in a lot of clubs as well. He's baby beetroot. Goodness. Aaron, he went swimming, did a great swim with James. 
he did 3,200 meters. My God, I don't think I've ever seen anybody do so many out and backs. They went in this little harbour and just swam across it and back for... It looks like they've done... 51 minutes. It looks like they've done a million laps. Yeah. Very good. And all the best, uh, Aaron, for Western Australia coming up. That's a great photo as well. I presume it's Western Australia. It says 20 days to go and it's got a picture of what looks like a... uh, the, 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 the big jetty in Australia. So go, go, you good thing, Aaron. Okay, questions and answers. answers. Good old, good old Ken sent through. Last week we were trying to say that Chinese race, and he's saying it's uh, pronounced shaman. 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 Remember that all the Chinese are sha, 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 sha. So uh, it's X I A M E N. What do we say? Shaman. I think I probably said Zyman. 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 Yeah. Shaman. Shaman. Okay. Uh, Matt Young sent through. Uh, I was recently watching the Outlaw Triathlon podcast, sorry, not podcast, uh, on YouTube this week. And as per attached photo, they provided metrics for the leading athletes in both the bike and the run. Certainly made watching more interesting and got me wondering why Ironman don't do this, especially for Kona. Or have these metrics been added after the fact? So what he was, what he means there is they're running along and it was having kilometres per hour um, that they were running or or speed and then on the bike, you know, cadence, power, etc. And we've seen a teensy, we did see a teensy bit of it a few years ago. Um, what I'd say around this is, I don't know if I'm that bothered about because so- cycling can't really get it right and they've, they've got a hell of a lot more money and technology than what we have. And when you see the site... a lot more resources around TV coverage. Yeah, and when you see them producing the numbers, I'm like, oh... It doesn't really mean much. He's sitting in the draft there, and he's uh, and the heart rate doesn't doesn't really tell me too much either. I'd just rather see um, a constant ticker of of, and Gaps. I think this would be quite easy to do is just have that GPS data where you go, okay, the gap the gap is is just cl- is closing. You, you know, live live gaps the whole time, and I think that would be easy enough to do. But uh, do check out the Outlaw Triathlon uh, on YouTube. Okay, check it out. Uh, another Kenyan athlete's been done for drugs, John. Yeah, and I saw this, um, and apparently it's 48 that have been done this year. So the, got, Was it Zane Robinson? There's a couple of Kiwi boys, but they're brothers, and they're very good runners, and they went. They basically thought, I want to make the running dream come true. They hit over the Kenya's young kids, didn't they? They did. And, and they've had pretty successful careers. Um, so the guy that got busted was, oh, excuse me. But he came <sighs> back, and he, he was kind of quite prevalent. Immediately. Yeah, and but but the the guy that got busted has set a world half ar- world record for the half marathon. Uh, oh. Has been overturned, uh, not not been overturned. Uh, has been beaten since then, um, with somebody who went uh, Jeffrey uh, Camwara. Yeah, uh, he went fifty eight oh one in Copenhagen in September. That's insanely quick. He's not the guy that got busted. Um, so yeah, it was a vi- it was a um, athlete biological passport. Passport violations. So that's where they track athletes' biomarkers. Uh, and if you see any big variations in there, you go, hmm, let's go and check that out in a bit more detail. So he's been busted. And it's apparently the 48th Kenyan that's been busted this year. It's interesting that's because Chobley did 250s, didn't he? Uh, now, admittedly, yeah. he's, he's been paced and stuff. Yeah. But the, the half marathon world record is 245s. Yeah. <sighs> did you know the. Okay. Here you go. What do you reckon the I'm still impressed by that guy that ran that the, the, they did that marathon last week. I just thought that was awesome that they did the, the, the team relay marathon. And oh they did the yeah, time. yeah. I'll put a video on our face on our on our. Make sure you check that out. It's really cool. Yeah. We could make that work. Yeah. You could probably get 20 athletes in Christchurch who could run. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could do it, but <laughs> yeah. How long, How fast do you reckon they run the BMI one, John? Real fast, um, including the drinking. Well, the world record. So the BMI. 
It's got to have the drinking in it, doesn't okay, it? Yeah. So that's going to be you're having a, you're chugging. Are you chugging three beers? Because I know it's four. No, I think four laps the, of the you track. You drink then go. So, so I think it's four. Four. So you probably have one before you start. Yeah. And then there's, so you're having four beers plus a mile. So the the running pace that they're going to do, they're definitely going to be sub four minute milers. Um, I would I would well not definitely. I would I would assume they would be sub four minute milers, and those guys can drink insanely quick. So I'm going to say. I'm going to say five minutes and 20 seconds. Okay, you're well off. Yeah. 4.24. Yeah. The average pace is 2.44 and they're stopping and drinking. Mm. Yeah. <gasps> so I was right on one part. They're definitely running sub four minute miles. It ain't taking them long to chuck those beers. Well, my record holding is disqualified. Got caught drinking. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, I got another email here from Murray the, Murray the Holy Hammer. Say, hey, John. When you're closing the show last week and Bevan said that he didn't have a tie to go to the races on Saturday, you were meant to pick up the subtle hint and offer a tie. Well, I did actually think, I, honestly, when you said that, I thought, I could offer Bevan a tie, but I thought my ties were not going to be trendy enough for you. So I'll tell you my tie story in a second, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, so there you go. John okay. Bowie, let's do the patrons. Uh, Brian, a big shot swind. Uh, i got Carl, the dark ghost Barksdale. And Brendan, X Factor Murray. Love your work. If you want to get an, an awesome Iron Talk nickname, you can go to www.irontalk.me and click on Patrons. Go through the process, sign up, and basically you donate. Basically, every time we do a show, you give us a little bit of your hard-earned money. You get a gift. You go on a draw to win a trip to Kona and just have it. You know, support the show. Uh, also, while you're there, you can get your show emailed us to you just by going to the bottom of the page, and I just send out an email each week when I release the show. If you've got some coaching, coachjohnnewson.com. My podcast, now, I released the podcast yesterday, but I'm interviewing a, a movie director today. Which James Spielberg? Released, yeah. Yeah. Yep. James Cameron? Yeah, both of them. Mm. The camera. Taika Waititi? Yeah. Or Taika Waititi? Taika, yeah. Um, have you seen Joe No, Joe? but I do want to go. Oh, got to go. Mm. Best movie of the year. Yeah. yeah. But um, on Netflix, there's a documentary called I Am Mar- Maris. M-A-R-I-S, Maris. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about a girl who went through anorexia and, and kind of had health problems and kind of found movement away back to it. It's a really good documentary, actually, because it shows a lot of deep insight. It also shows the family guilt around it. Mm-hmm. And our parents got things wrong, but you can't really blame them. Mm-hmm. But you can see how the, the parents are really honest about where they got things wrong. It's quite a good documentary. But I'm interviewing her on my podcast. Now, it won't be out for another couple of Mondays, but I'll let you guys know when that happens. Uh, if you want to email us, Age Group of the Week, cool websites, other feedback, just imtalkpodcast.gmail.com. John, you goss. What's my goss? Race Week, Bevan. I've got a Pack and Save Triathlon Festival this weekend, so getting ramping up for that. Uh, but I'm just intrigued to find out about your uh, races you, experience. You didn't go to the races? I did not. We were thinking about going on Friday, but then I just had to I prioritised in other areas. Uh, so no, I did not go to the races. So did you go horse number two and 12 all day and did you win? Okay, well first of all, John, I bought a suit. Oh, goodness. I I've, did that, yeah. I've never owned a suit. Really? No. I've got a couple of suit jackets, mm-hmm. but I don't have the pants to match. Mm-hmm. So it's, Get yourself a good deal? Went to Barker's. So this is what, I did this about two or three years ago before the races. Went to Barker's. Gold deal. I went to the outlet mall. Oh, he took it better. to another level. They had, they had a $250 deal, which yeah. was a nice kind of, it wasn't top end, John. That's a cheap suit. And I went to the $350 deal. Oh. But I got a top end merino. Mm-hmm. Oh, beautiful, John. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So I got a suit. It's at the outlet mall. Just, it's just a shame one leg's a bit shorter than the other, but yeah, hey, that's okay. I looked like I was young. <laughs> so, and then I didn't get a tie because they never had a good tie selection. Mm-hmm. So I thought to myself, what I'll do? A, a I'll beautiful, John a call. beautiful blue. 
and uh, kind of a pinkish shirt. Mm-hmm. So and then I but I bought a, a pocket thing. What do you call that? Uh, I can't remember. Pocket point. thing. Pocket thing. Yeah. Yep. I bought myself a pocket thing. So I get get you know I thought I'm gonna look pretty flash. Day day arrives. Get ready and, and I really like the look that I've gone with. I've got mm-hmm. this open kind of slightly open shirt, but the pocket. Murray's going to email us and tell us what that pocket thing is yeah, called. Definitely, <laughs> Murray's going to email us with the pocket thing. The pocket thing looked like gold, so I'm thinking I'm looking pretty sharp. I'm ready for the races. Go, Lucy and Paul, Joe's friends, come down, and Paul's bought a tie selection for me. Mm-hmm. And I go, I go uh, they've got a tie that does work with the suit. It does mm-hmm. work, but it does mean that the pocket thing now suit was cheap. The pocket thing cost me forty bucks, John. <laughs> so I way overpowered. For a piece of bloody fabric, basically. So, get get my get, get my get my outfit on, and Joe goes, "You got to wear a tie." And I go, "Babe, do, do I have to?" She puts a tie on. It doesn't look good, but the pocket thing—I can't even use my pocket thing. Yeah. So I go, "I go, babe," and I actually picked it. I, I, I'm a bit ten-year-old. I go, <laughs> "Babe, do I have to wear a tie?" Yeah. And, and Joe said, "Yes, you do," because on on the thing it said ties are preferred. Yeah. Turn up. No, no one's wearing a tie. Yeah. <laughs> And even the guy who coordinated Hops, the great guy, wasn't wearing a tie. Preferred, not mandatory. Preferred, not mandatory, John. Mm. So that was that. Was, so my pocket thing still hasn't been used, mm. and I can't imagine next time I'm going to wear a suit. Mm. Probably same time next year when yep. I go to the races again. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, horses, wise, John. Okay, so I, you know, I told you about my strategy last yes. week, didn't I? Go with a favourite for a placing. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing I didn't know about when you go to the races is. The first four races, they're all new horses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I was losing big time in the first four races. At the end of four first four races, I was now I was doing two dollar bets max. I was, probably, <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was like seven dollars down. Yeah, my strategy was not working. Second half of the day, came back two dollars down for the day. Gold. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe, she got keen. Mm. Joe's like me. Joe's ultra conservative, but her friend Lucy did a trifecta bet. Mm. Joe gave herself twenty dollars. Put $15 on one race, lost it all, out for the day. <laughs> so, nice. So, but it was a good day, actually, because yeah. Wednesday's not too busy. Mm. Had a good bunch of people. Oh, the food. Mm-hmm. If you're a vegetarian, you wouldn't have liked it. No. But I'll tell you what, I had a few animals on that day. <laughs> what about Very you, good. John? Um, you well, I'm a bit concerned my daughter's going to be outrunning me soon. Had oh, the, really? She had zone sports yesterday. And she ran like a three forty five for one k on the track on grass. That's really good. And she gets, she gassed everybody. Where'd she get first? She smoked them. Wow. Um, like, so when's the Canterbury's? A uh, couple of weeks. Well, how would she go there? She probably do all right. I don't think she'll win. But is uh, she an athletics club? No, no, no. Are you going to do that? Sorry, are you going to get into it? She does too much bloody ballet to do that sort of stuff. Ballet, bloody hell. Oh yeah, um, ballet. What's wrong with ballet, John? My wife did ballet. Look at her posture. Nothing wrong with it. It's just. It's a lot of driving around for my wife, not me. Yeah. <laughs> so wait a second. So, so you're whinging about something you don't do. Yeah. There's a lot of angst that comes with ballet. It's not cheap, is it? It's not cheap. It could be organised better. Oh, really? Tell yeah. me what you think. No, it's just, it's it's not a sports club. And if they're being paid good money for it, it's like just they're a bit communicate are they? things well. Mm. Could, 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 could be done better. John, you've got to be careful here because one time when I did CrossFit, I criticised the CrossFit crew when I was on the show. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, I didn't criticise. I kind of, I can't remember, I probably talked myself up a little bit, talked them down a little bit. And then Dave Dwan yeah. went to the CrossFit and said, oh, people was talking about you on the show. Oh. And then I went along this week and they said, oh, we're talking about you. Oh, we heard you're on the podcast. 
And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so be careful, Newsom. Be nah, careful. Other than that, it's just race organisation week, which is always a bit tricky. So oh. looking forward to that. And then uh, we've got the Half Ironman coming up. So it's busy. Not When's busy. It? It's a lot going on between here and when, Christmas. When's the Half Ironman? 15th of December, the Oxman. Oxman. Okay, guys. If you're in Christchurch, South Island, America, mm. UK, Oxman. It's the biggest race in the, in the world. What was a short show it's ended up being a long show. That's how we roll, John. Iron Russ. I'm in Train hard. Train smart. Kia, Kia car. Car.